today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Apostle uses a derogatory term. He's not going to mince words because this is serious business with these people who are perverting the gospel because grace plus works destroys grace. Christ plus anything takes away from Christ. It exalts man and it lessens Jesus. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see you're changing our lives so we can be our heads and feet. We need to be wary of anybody who puts anything as equal to or above Jesus. This goes for those in the church who may say certain things are required to get to Jesus. Pastor Ed tells us that Paul called these types of people vermin and evil workers. The fact is, all that is required to get to heaven is Jesus. All that is required to find beauty in life is Jesus. All that is required to find your purpose is Jesus. Any questions, concerns, burdens, or trials you may have, take them to Jesus. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message, Safeguarding Your Faith. take you to begin to rejoice when something difficult happens, when something hard comes into your life. Well, that's a test of your obedience. And joy is resident to every believer who walks in obedience and who is in the will of God. Some who lack joy, as Billy Sunday said, somewhere there's a leak in your Christianity. Sin will rob us of our joy. But if we're walking with him, we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That is our promise. And so Paul the Apostle said, here's a safeguard for your Christian walk. Here's a safeguard to keep you in the faith. Rejoice. And then he mentions repeat, repetition. Uh, Notice in 3.1 it says... Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. So Paul is writing to them. He's speaking to them. He's telling them the same stories again. I heard about a preacher. He had come to a church. He was brand new as the pastor of that church. And the preacher, that first week preacher, stirring message. There were hallelujahs and amens and people responded and they were excited about it. Well, next week came and he preached the same message again. A few less hallelujahs, a few less amens, a few less praise the Lord. The third week came and he preached the same message again. And the deacons began to scratch their head and they said, listen, we got to talk to our new pastor. You know, it was all right to repeat a message once in a while, but three weeks in a row and so at the meeting they said pastor it's a good message but do you have any other messages and he says oh yeah but he says I keep on preaching the same message until the congregation gets it (laughs) well Paul 
kept on repeating some truths because he wanted us to get it. And we need repetition. There is something about us that we like novelty. God likes repetition. In fact, we are to remember and to rehearse his deeds and his words. We're to recall what he said. We're to repeat. The longer you walk with God, the more you love the gospel story. Remember the songwriter who said, I love to tell a story. Let me read just a couple of the verses of that song. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longing as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems, than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to tell the story. It did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. And then he ends with this last line. I love to tell the story, for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when it's scenes of glory, I sing the new, new song. T'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. It doesn't lose its wonder to hear about Christ dying on the cross, being buried in the tomb, being raised from the dead, and ascending to heaven, And the promise that he will return again. Don't look for something novel. Some new self-help method. Dressed in gospel garment. That's shallow. And has no theology to it. Paul said... I'm going to write to you again. Peter emphasized how he was writing to them, telling them things they already heard, that they already knew we need again and again. Uh, I think it's so important that believers know the the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the statements of faith. It's these simple, basic Bedrock truths that we build our faith on, that we build our hope on. My faith, my trust is in Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. A holy lean on Jesus' name. The basic truths, Paul says, remember them, recall them, rehearse them, review them, rejoice and Remember. And he moves on to another safeguard. Reject the extremes. Reject the extremes. In Paul's day, it took the form of Judaizers. These were Jewish believers who felt that Paul had shortchanged the Gentiles by not giving them the Old Testament law. It wasn't enough to receive Christ. They wanted to add to it. Now, the question had been settled in Acts chapter 15 at a council. Let me read to you some of the words that this council, 
where Peter and James, the Lord's brother, uh, presided. And now are you going to correct God by burdening the Gentiles with a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? Don't you believe that all are saved the same way by the free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ? Salvation is through Jesus. Uh, But there were some who felt, ah, we got to see them follow dietary law found in the book of Leviticus. Uh, No, they need to be circumcised, a sign of the covenant. No, they need to observe Jewish holidays and regulations. And and, and Paul was saying, no, no, the Gentiles don't have all of those laws. There's a new covenant that God has formed, that God has established with believers. And what happened is these went around as teachers trying to correct Paul's teaching, and Paul, listen to his strong words. Watch out for those dogs. Now, I know you're scratching your head, said, well, I know I wouldn't want to be called a dog, but it's not that bad. Well, wait a minute. I know in your neighborhood, when you walk your dogs, you may not know your neighbor's name, but you know those dogs' names. And, and people just spend all sorts of money on, of course, their pets, and dogs are one of the Well, man's best friend, as they say. But back in biblical times, people didn't have dogs as pets. They would roam the streets like scavengers, like wild packs of wolves. An equivalent, in our thinking, might be to call them rats. So Paul the Apostle uses a derogatory term. He's not going to mince words because this is serious business with these people who are perverting the gospel because grace plus works destroys grace. Christ plus anything takes away from Christ. It exalts man and it lessens Jesus. And so Paul the Apostle didn't want them in any way to become caught up in the teachers who were teaching false doctrine. And their teachings were detrimental. Someone, John Ruskin said, I believe that the root of almost every schism and heresy from which the Christian church has ever suffered has been the effort of men to earn rather than to receive their salvation. Someone else has said, one era is the bridge to another. What happens is you begin believing the wrong thing, and it could start out okay. But you say, boy, this is a nice tradition, and then you raise the tradition to the uh, place of a, a biblical precept, and you take that biblical Uh, that precept and you make it a law and you say, well, if you're really a good Christian, this is how you, if you really want favor with God, this is how you, well, you fill it in. It's important to tithe. But don't come to church saying, you know, I've been tithing, God has to hear me. He hears us because of mercy and grace. Well, uh, I've been faithful to the church Well, that is absolutely such a blessing, and we should be. But don't put the cart before the horse and begin to think it's because 
of what you've done or haven't done that you have favor with God and acceptance with God. He actually calls these men workers of evil. Now, they wouldn't have seen themselves in that way. They wouldn't have seen themselves in that light because they're thinking they're doing good. But Paul says, no, you're working evil in the church because as soon as you begin to trust your pedigree, your works, Instead of trusting in the cross and the cross alone, you're moving away from God. Let me say that again. As soon as you begin to trust in any of those things, you're moving away from God. When you were saved and you accepted Jesus Christ, did you come and plead before him your good works and say, Lord, I want to be accepted because of these things, these things, and these things? No, you simply came and you repented and you said, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You approach God again and again and again throughout the journey on the basis of his grace and his mercy. Now, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Please do them. But don't put your faith in them. Put your faith in Christ. And be careful that you don't judge others on the basis of how you live the Christian life. That's what Paul is dealing with. These Jewish people... If they wanted to keep their traditions, I believe it would have been okay. I believe if they would have said, you know, we'd like to keep these traditions, we'd like to practice them, we're Jewish, and we want to do that, but we recognize that it doesn't change our standing with God. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. But the problem was when they wanted to put them on the Gentiles, when they wanted to put them on others and they wanted to judge others on the basis of those things i I have many messianic jewish friends uh have pastor friends who are messianic jews and they practice a lot of the old testament and their services look very different than our service their service tends to replicate liturgy which was part of jewish worship at the time of jesus which was part of uh, the way the jewish people worshiped But they can worship differently than we do in those ways. Our faith has to be in one thing and one thing alone. It's in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, be very, very careful. In our day, it comes in so many different forms. The truth had been dealt with. They had destroyed, in a sense, the theory of the era at the Jerusalem Council when they said salvation is by faith and faith alone. But era has a way of resurrecting itself. Era has a way of coming back all through the centuries of church history. The errors that we face today, they had faced centuries ago. Whether it's in the cults, whether it's in the extremes, if you want to safeguard your faith, Don't embrace the extremes. Reject those things. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, it says, I'm reading from the Living Bible. Now read part of that verse. For there is going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but will go around looking for teachers who tell them just what they want to hear. They just won't listen to what the Bible says. Let the truth of Scripture reach out of the text and capture your heart and captivate your mind. Don't look for novelty. 
the basics. Don't let swaying words and fancy sermons and persuasive personalities set the sail of your ship because it will end in shipwreck. That's what Paul was warning them against. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And he's referring to those who are requiring circumcision. But the word he uses, mutilators of the flesh, is a throwback to the prophets of Baal who are beating themselves and cutting themselves and trying to get heaven's attention because they're worshiping Baal. But they're worshiping the wrong God and they're worshiping the wrong way come and depend on one thing alone the mercy the grace the blood of Christ so he he deals with that if we're going to safeguard our faith we must reject the extremes we must remember the basics and the last is we must reproduce the authentic verse 3 for we are the true circumcision. He's, he's drawing a contrast here between those who say, we're the circumcision. We're really true believers because we're Abraham's seed and we're following these legalistic rules and regulations. Notice he says we're the true circumcision. And I'm going to quickly go through this. True circumcision. For we are, the English Standard Version says, the real circumcision. What he's saying is this. What really counts in God's sight is in here. It's the heart. That's what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 deal with. It deals with heart religion. It deals with change on the inside. It's, it's good for us to come dressed up nice and look good for church, but God looks at our hearts. He looks at how we've talked about one another, how we've thought this past week, what we've done and our motives, and uh, all of those things are important to God. And he wants the circumcision of our hearts. In fact, in Jeremiah 9.25, it reads, A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised in body, but not in spirit. When God convicts with his spirit, and we respond and we change and we humble ourselves and we're broken in his presence. That's the circumcision of the heart. And then he talks about those who are circumcised in heart. This is how they'll live. This will be the evidence. This will be the expression. One, they'll have true worship. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he lifts up Jesus. That's the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to magnify Christ. And when he comes and fills a heart and a life, that person wants to lift Jesus higher and exalt him and praise him and magnify him and give him glory. Nothing gives them more pleasure than glorifying God. Nothing gives them more joy than worshiping Jesus. Nothing satisfies them like praising the Savior. They just can't stop praising the Lord. Now, worship is not just what we do Sunday morning. Worship is how 
Sunday morning is expressed on Monday morning and Friday morning and Saturday night and all through the week. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's our act of worship. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd come upon our church and you'd write your word in all of our hearts that we would be true worshipers of God, that we would recognize your value and your worth, that it wouldn't be form and ritual, but it'd be reality and relationship. Come Holy Spirit. True glory. Those who are circumcised in heart will worship in truth. They will worship in truth and spirit, and they'll have true and experience true glory. Notice what the text says. Glory in Christ Jesus. Glory in Christ Jesus. Not in our spirituality. Not in our works. Not in our giving. Not in our righteousness. But we glory in Christ. There's a magnificent, divine obsession with Christ. We are obsessed with Jesus. We want to talk about him. We want to think about him. We want to express our love to him. It reminds me of Charles Wesley's song, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, when he said, Thou, O Christ, are all I want. More than all in thee I find. We need to have a singular focus of life, a one-track mind to glorify Jesus. See, that's a safeguard. That's going to keep us because Christianity is to get down into our soul, to get down into our very being, to permeate everything about our life, our relationship with our family, our relationship with those outside, our relationship with ourselves. And notice what he says. Those who truly are circumcised in heart put no confidence in the flesh true confidence we're not going to be confident in what we do or what others have done we're confident in the Lord as soon as we begin to lean on the arm of flesh it'll crumble as soon as we begin to think we're something and we're somebody we're headed on the wrong track And we'll stumble and lose our way. It's a confidence in God. Where, Lord, I'm confident in you. I trust in you. I recognize that, Lord, though man may fail, you will never fail. How many of you have been disappointed in people? Just raise your hand. Everybody should be, right? I mean, unless you have, you live in the cone of silence. But you're not only disappointed in people, you're disappointed in yourself too. How many times have you said things, wanted to do things, and, and you just come short of all that? That's what the Bible calls sin. Confidence. And, and Paul gives all these reasons, which he talks later on in verse 4 and 5 and 6, his reasons why he could be confident in the flesh. He says, I'm not confident in God my trust is in the Lord well 
Let's make sure we safeguard our faith. Let's safeguard our walk with the Lord. We're so glad you've joined us again today for Building in Faith for Dr. Ed Jones' teachings from the book of Philippians. Even though Paul wrote this book while in prison, the joy of the Lord fills every word. Paul knew that his imprisonment was being used for God's glory and the spread of the gospel. When you take a look at the hardships in your own life, can you see how God is working them for your good and His glory? When you're walking through the hard times, soaking yourself in the words of this book can bring a new perspective and transform your thinking. Whatever season of life you're in, we aren't meant to do it alone. We encourage you to find a community of believers to journey with. This family of faith will be able to offer you the support you need in any situation you face. If you're in the Poughkeepsie, New York area, we'd love to see you at Faith Assembly. Weekend services are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday. And there's a Wednesday evening Bible study at 7 p.m. Find out more about Faith Assembly by visiting our website at buildinginfaithradio.com. You can also look us up on Facebook. Just search for Faith AG2. We'd also love to answer any questions you may have, so give us a call at 845-462-5955. Once again, that's 845-462-5955. That's all we have time for on today's edition. Join us again as we continue in Philippians next time on Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. Your word restores.